When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, we bring you a Democratic Party autopsy of sorts. But it's not likely to be the one sanctioned by the Democratic National Committee. And in fact, much of it was written before the election took place and written by our guest, author Thomas Frank, whose 2016 book, Listen Liberal, now in many ways seems prophetic. But speaking of the Democratic National Committee, their future is now up in the air and it won't be settled until a new leader for the organization is chosen. And the way it's shaking out, the race to run the DNC could come down to Minnesota Representative Keith Ellison and or outgoing Labor Secretary Tom Perez, who on the surface don't appear to be all that different from each other. But it's caused a big row and fight in Democratic circles. So what's all the shouting about? We're going to take a deeper look. Meanwhile, the cabinet of President-elect Donald Trump is taking shape, and it's looking more and more like an exercise in irony as the candidate who ran against elites continues to populate his administration with people who will, if anything, be even more elite than their predecessors. Maybe we're going to actually drain the swamp using global warming. We'll take a look. Finally, did you know that the government nearly shut down last week? I mean, how are we supposed to know this if the cable news channels don't put up a bunch of countdown clocks? But yes, it nearly did, and it was all because it's now somehow controversial to want to help coal miners avoid dying. We'll take a deeper look at a quiet shutdown that almost happened. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone-Lopez, Zach Carter, and Arthur Delaney. And here's what happened first. Hey, uh, everybody, you know what time it is. Time for another edition of So That Happened, your Huffington Post podcast about life here in the bleak mid-late capitalism. My name is Jason Lincolns. I'm the editor of Eat the Press. I'm joined by our illustrious hosts, Zach Carter. Hi, everyone. And Arthur Delaney. Hi. So illustrious, you guys. Um, normally, we'd probably lead off with a discussion of Virginia College basketball and, and make Arthur upset. But because we're in the Christmas spirit, we're not going to do that this time. We're generous. Instead, we're going to talk about um, the cabinet of the incoming administration, which is a is an eclectic mix of really rich Wall Street douchebags, um, People who apparently would prefer the United States become a client proxy to the Russian Federation and like ironic picks for people who basically hate the agencies they've been assigned to lead. Pretty cool stuff all around. I mean, it's a good mix of nihilists 
I think it's sort of a, uh, it, it's just following through on the sort of old GOP managerial logic of the George W. Bush administration and just sort of getting more directly to the source of the of these things. You know, Dick Cheney was the CEO, right, of Halliburton. All sorts of issues with Halliburton in the Iraq War and Correct. Dick Cheney. They, the appearance, they just didn't look very good. Um, so it's not new to have CEOs in the cabinet, CEOs from, you know, oil and gas companies in the cabinet. Um, but typically there's at least some pretense that, like, you know, you hire a lawyer for the CEO or a lobbyist or something. You don't right. just go and put the actual CEO of ExxonMobil and say that with no who has no diplomatic experience in government and say you're going to be Secretary of State, uh, which is what what Trump is trying to do with Rex right. Tillerson. Yeah. So Rex Tillerson, he's also one of the people who I suspect would be happy saying the United States basically become a client state of Russia, is the incoming uh, Secretary of State. There. Vladimir Putin gave him a medal. Yes. Yeah. And there's probably several listening devices in that medal, um, which I'm sure he should not wear anywhere. Isn't that sensitive? Isn't that strange? Yes, it's strange. That's like completely odd. Um, You know, there's affection in America now for Vladimir Putin. Uh, It used to be sort of, I think, confined to sort of uh, a a, a sort of like the the sort of like left anti-imperialist that used to just like talk about Russia and, and Putin, but there's been an increasing affection for uh, Putin on the right wing. And I think it just sort of like sort of falls in line with the fact that there's been an increasing affection uh, in, in, you know, the right wing of America for just autocracy and authoritarianism and a, and a white guy and a white guy. Yeah. Right. Now, just, so, now they're, they're not completely Putin murders journalists. And that among a lot of people is just like, that's great leadership. One of our elder statesmen, John McCain is still calling Putin a murderer. Well, I mean, members of Congress are going to fight this Tillerson pick. He's not going to have, but it's, unanimous but Republican you're being support. Very, you're being very optimistic about the extent to which there, Congress is going to fight the Tillerson. There, pick. Well, they said they would. There, it's going to be an interesting pick because, look, um, the the Putin friendliness stuff is obviously making a lot of people uncomfortable, and I think with good reason. Uh, but the number two that that Trump has said he wants at at state is John Bolton, who is so nuts that he was basically hated within the George W. Bush administration for being too crazy and hawkish on foreign policy within the George W. Bush administration. So <laughs> Tillerson, in many ways, uh, some some people from the Democratic side of the aisle are looking at him and saying, OK, well, yeah, he does have these weird connections to Putin. But also, who else are we going to get from a Trump administration? This this might actually be you know, a relatively good pick. Uh, on the foreign policy priorities because, of Democrats, because which the, is a very strange place for the world to be in. To be, because it would follow through on the you know, Trump campaign pose that he was not in favor of our put a bomb on it foreign policy. Right, right. He Can, is, But he, John Bolton <laughs> wants to put a bomb on everything. That's right. That's Can, right. That's his whole deal. He doesn't even believe in the United Nations. All right. So this isn't really like they don't look at it as if Tillerson is going to be closer to democratic foreign policy positions except that we accept that maybe constant stupid war is a foreign policy position right but i mean i think i think that's still closer that, that to is foreign policy. tillerson it would be Put obama on it. i think i think it also obama's foreign policy was like don't do stupid stuff right I mean, so tillerson have a drone put a bomb on yeah. it tillerson would be a buffer to madness now of course the problem the thing about bolton at state department is the state department literally does not launch bombs at people. 
they mm-hmm. they're di- di- you know they're supposed they're to do diplomacy so that you right. don't have bombs that need to to go off. So which among these guys is the diplomat? Yeah, it's bad news, man. <laughs> I, I, I have another. I have another. I don't have a good thing to say about. There's another this. cabinet pick that I have. Hit, hit me with. The, it's Andy Puzder at the Labor Department. He is the CEO of Hardee's. So this is very opposite day yeah. type pick because the Labor <laughs> Department enforces labor regulations. As, and they know Puzder quite well. As CEO of Hardee's, Andy Puzder mm. violated labor regulations. Yes. Like a lot. Yeah, wage theft out the waz. Yeah. Workplace safety out the waz. And uh, that. so we have Puzder, who has essentially been a scofflaw target of the Department of Labor over the years, now he's going to run. Now, and and the through the department. department of Labor regulations, the Obama administration had been very busy with uh, – Orders on changing overtime laws to protect more workers. Right. Uh, higher minimum wage for government contractors. Yes. And these are basically cards stacked on a table, and Andy Puzzler's going to come in there and flip that sucker over. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be uh, pretty great. Um, I, Zach, I suppose we should talk about the fact that. Um, uh, Wilbur Ross will be at Commerce. Steve Mnuchin will be at Treasury. Mnuchin, yeah. Mnuchin. It looks like it, it looks like somebody misspelled Munchkin, but it's Mnuchin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have we're gonna have to get this right. Yeah. Because it's gonna be for at least four years, right? Uh, you know, I'm okay if we occasionally make mistakes on Mnuchin. Oh my god. Yeah. Mnuchin. It, I don't know. It's, we'll just call these, him Steve. Look, these are. Uh, these are people who are just super rich. Wilbur Ross is a, a vulture investor. Um, you know, he's a gazillionaire. I think he, he's he said all the you know bad things that Wall Street gazillionaires say uh, about the financial crisis. You know, like there were there nobody lost their home improperly during the foreclosure fraud mess. Everybody who everything that happened was just sort of irrelevant paperwork stuff that they should have gotten right, but it didn't really matter to people, which is obviously not true. Which is why there's a twenty billion dollar settlement over it. They were stealing people's homes. Um, you know, they, he's he just has a you know Wall Street centric worldview. He got kind of famous, uh, made a lot of money in steel uh, by basically buying steel companies, ripping up all of the union contracts, and then selling them again. Um, so he's very interested in in sort of the trade policy aspect of um, of Donald Trump's campaign message. And uh, you know, uh, if you're okay with being run by a corporate raider, trade policy uh, also is an area where you, you could do some stuff. Don't, don't, haven't Democrats been putting rich Wall Street people in charge this, for the past? Oh, eight? so that's the thing, right? The Commerce Department is kind of just a, a for show department where yeah. the job of the Commerce Secretary is to go around patting other rich people on the back. That's you, what, were, you were saying in a previous podcast that literally commerce exists as a counterweight to the fact that someone made a Department of Labor. Yeah, bi- big business got really mad. Well, they, so, they estimate our GDP. Well, that's the thing. And they do a lot of actual enforcement of trade agreements. So Obama has used the, the Commerce Department very aggressively to go after China on things like you know illegal dumping of tires into the United States market, steel, solar panels, things like that. Um, you know, if if Wilbur Ross and Donald Trump want to, they could use the Commerce Department the same way. Uh, but we don't know. We he's, just don't well, know. What he's, what's he look said like. he would do that. Yeah, he said a lot of things. He, he also said he also <laughs> complained about Goldman Sachs bankers being at the heart of an international uh, cabal of global elites that was trying to destroy American workers. And then he names a, a Goldman Sachs of, guy as yeah. his Treasury Secretary. So. 
you know, I have no idea what this freaking policy is going to look like economically. Uh, I think it's going to be a total, like, lurching mess from one disaster and fuck up to another. Uh, but, you know, uh, the world hasn't ended yet. <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I think that's terrific news. The world, guys, just in. The world hasn't ended. Merry Christmas. Uh, pursuant, <laughs> pursuant to the fact that the world is not going to end at the moment, we have a really nice show. And I encourage all of you to stick around and, uh, and hear more of it. We'll be right back. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. All right, we're back, and uh, very happy to have in the studio with us an author of some renown. A little is, bit of renown. A little bit of renown. His name is Thomas <laughs> Frank. You may have read his book, The Wrecking Crew, or his book, What's the Matter with Kansas. His most latest book is Listen Liberal. It was, I think, maybe in some ways deeply prophetic about some things that happened Sorry in this about election. That. No, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> someone has to be the Trojan woman here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, Cassandra, right? Yeah, Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. So um, so talk us, talk us through how you feel about how the election went. What do you mean? It's like it's a it's a disaster on the face of it. This is for my side. This is a, the, this is as complete a wipeout. Oh, no, this is more of a wipeout than there's ever been in my life ever mm-hmm. that they lost. They don't have they don't have a foothold in any of the three branches. I mean, they don't have control of any of the three branches of government and their wipeout at the state level is I've never seen this before. We're talking about no. the Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Oh, obviously. sorry about that. I should well, have pointed out I'm be? a Democrat. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. Look, I'm a registered Democrat. I'm 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 very liberal. Uh, I, I have a lot of criticism of the Democratic Party and all of which has just come like true in a kind of you know, horrifying way. And I'm, you know, I, I, I so so I feel terrible about the uh, political result, but I've been keeping very, very busy. I can so, imagine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're a historian. Are, and also are, are I, I'm a collector of, of bourbon and scotch. And I've and so 
It's been a really good time for dipping into that collection. It's a good, yeah, it's a good reason. I've been doing the same. <laughs> I think we may just wow. You culturally fit in very well with this podcast. Uh, so, so Wait, but I, I, no, I can I can to trump you guys so many times. I I I seriously when I say I'm a collector, I buy antique bourbon and scotch at uh, at estate sales where they're, they're basically throwing it away. And I have this enormous collection of stuff from the 60s and 70s. So it's always a big hoot to drink bourbon from before I was born. That is pretty cool. <laughs> and yet you sneer at craft breweries. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. History, man. Okay, so look, what, what could... What could have been done differently? Uh, take, not, not worrying about like the campaign you know, decisions and strategies, but like the Democratic Party historically, where it has moved. I mean, what strategically should the party have focused on to avoid this election from being as close as it was, much less losing it? Well, there's two, two different ways to look at it. One is the sort of the, the actual rhetoric and the way that the Clinton campaign played its hand which was very poor. And the other is what could Obama have done differently? Because that's the, that's the backdrop to all of this. And if you want to start with the second question first, I mean, the, 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 the dark cloud that hangs over every democratic effort now is Obama's failure to get tough with wall street. When he first came into office is everybody knows this, this is, you know, the, the, all this, the whole sort of Trump narrative about the system being rigged and everybody being friends with everybody else. It's all made possible by, you know, uh, Obama, the, the revolving door between the Treasury Department and, uh, and Wall Street. This is everyone knows this. Uh, Obama's complete failure to prosecute anybody, to even fire anybody. Before we, we started this podcast, we were talking about his bailout of the auto industry, which was one of the, the successes, I think, of the Obama administration. And one of the things Obama did, you remember, he fired the CEO of General Motors. Right. And this was highly controversial at the time. But I think people now recognize that that was that was the right thing to do. Well, look at the banks. He didn't fire anybody. And he had seats on their board. He had complete control over those institutions. He did nothing. You know, okay, yeah, they got Dodd-Frank. They tried to get – you know, Dodd-Frank still isn't done. Right. It's, it's not gonna, written yet. It's, it's, we'll, we'll it's going to get repealed before it's completely finished. We're never going to know whether it would have been sufficient bulwark against yeah. a financial crisis because it'll be pulled out root and branch before the next one happens. I mean, yeah. we're going back yeah. to like everyone's yeah. That's right. dick swinging in the wind on Wall Street. Right. So, oh, wait, you can't say that on the radio. I can say it here. You can say I it on the internet. Thing. <laughs> say anything you want. Yeah, yeah. but no, that's, that is the dark cloud that hangs over his and his, his presidency, his entire administration. And we all know why he... Well, Actually, we don't know why he did uh, what, what he did, why he went so easy on this one industry. And we all have theories. And you know mine. It's in Listen Liberal. I explain it at some length. But I don't think we'll ever really for sure know the answer why he let these guys off the hook in the way that he did. But that I mean, that sets up everything that has happened since from the Tea Party movement to, uh, you know, to, to Trumpism. Uh, you know, that's that's mistake. Number one, you want to go down the list of other things he could have done, for example. I mean, there is even things he could have done. Well, say things he could have done when he had control of Congress. So the first two years, card check, for God's sakes, get the labor movement up off its off its back again. Yeah. Oh, my God, what a change that would have made in this country. For one, you would have card seen, check would have allowed, made, made it much easier. Much for easier labor, to form or, unions. Yeah. yeah. And you would have seen union organizing. Every Starbucks in America would be union. You know, it, it, you would see it would have swept the country. And, you know, the idea of the of the working class abandoning the Democrats, that whole narrative would have been gone. The Tea Party movement wouldn't have been able to steal the language of economic dissent, uh, which they did very effectively. I mean, you go down the list of things, antitrust. This is something he could have done even without Congress. The antitrust laws exist. They're on the books. All It's up to Obama just to enforce them. Right. And he, he chose not to. 
Uh, he just chose to let all of these things happen. And, you know, you look at Silicon Valley now, and this is it scares people, the kind of monopolies these guys are dreaming up now. Sorry, present company accepted. I, say. <laughs> I just want to make sure that uh, the, it, it's totally fine to be a cable monopoly, by the way. We're completely fine with cable monopolies on this show. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there's there's so many other things like. Uh, you know, what's going on with, with the student loan situation, the student loan debt, or the, the college tuition spiral. It's completely out of control. You think of all the ways that President Obama could have persuaded, let's say, let's use that word, Good persuaded one. universities to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been massively popular. You know, deliver things to average people. Do you remember in nobody? I'm sorry, and I go on and on and on about this stuff, but do you remember in 2008 when he was running for I was a huge Obama supporter in 2008. I, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. He was going to come in, and not only was he going to be a great president, which we could all see because of the kind of person that he was and the way that he spoke and that sort of thing. But he was also going to destroy the influence of the Clintons on the Democratic Party. Right. And I, so I had these incredibly high hopes for the man. And one of the things is when he was running uh, uh, against Hillary in 08, and remember he beat her in Iowa, the Iowa caucuses, mm-hmm. and this was a big deal. It's a huge upset. It's a very white state. You know, what the hell is going on here? One of the ways that he did this is by going around the state and promising to family farmers that he would start enforcing uh, the antitrust laws against the agricultural monopolies. People like me have been calling for this for a long time. And he comes out there and says he's going to do it. And guess what? It's hugely popular. It's massively popular. (laughs) He never followed through. And you look at, like, the rural areas going against the Democrats in this catastrophic way this time around, trace it right back to that. It's weird how populism ends up being popular. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, there is this dance within the... The Obama throughout the Obama administration, where when things seem to be going well, they want to draw parallels and connections with the Johnson administration. They, you know, they put out an economic report this week talking about how they'd done more for income inequality than any president since since you know the Great Society. How do they figure that? Well, it turns out that actually every president since Lyndon Johnson has made inequality much much worse. So the oh, fact oh that it's in the only... sense that, in the sense that it's that it that it has in the sense that it has changed, like the graph the the graph has changed slightly. Well, we're yeah. we're basically back to where we were in the middle of the George W. Bush years yeah. on after tax stuff. So yeah. good news, but, but it's wait, only like, as bad as it was I mean, right the, before the financial crisis. Oh man, <laughs> super but, good news. But then you do see things like you know, the, we we forget that in but, 2011. But okay, so so all you're talking about is basically that the, the country recovered from the financial crisis. I mean, in eight years, that's the accomplishment. <laughs> that's that is not an accomplishment, it's folks. The, it's the minimum. It's the minimum. And I feel like it's I feel a, that the obvious after effect of the financial crisis it engendered all this populist energy. It had to go somewhere. Yeah. It was looking yeah. for well, a this, but this is the old, old, old story that there is. I mean, and and you 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 know you look at what's the matter with Kansas. That was written before the financial crisis. Right. Yeah. But what is happening to small towns and rural areas was already clear by then. I mean, you didn't have the, you know, the meth, you know, problem back then, but everything else was, everything else was there, you know, and, and so many of the other problems that I wrote about then are obvious, the problem of monopoly, the problem of financialization, and we call it now inequality. That's the word, that's the word for it, but it was all present. And the Republicans have been stealing the sort of populist thunder for decades. This has been going on and on and on and on and on. And the, 
can I just ask you guys, why don't the Democrats ever get a clue about this? And it's not just me writing about this. Many people have written no, about it's, this. It's been a weird <laughs> phenomenon because I've seen I, I see one party is really capable of getting their voters geeked up to vote in every single kind of election. And it's not the Democrats. Um, but there's, and, cer- there's but certain don't kinds you feel- of Democrats, though, who do turn out in huge numbers. Like well, I was looking at these numbers, Darien, Connecticut, right. <laughs> Wellesley, Massachusetts. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's no, a massive you've turnout about, for Hillary. You yeah. talked about how, how the Democrats have become rather obsessed with the with the professional class and the knowledge class. Yes, and, and Hillary Hillary is a perfect example. And really, she won Orange County, emblem- California. Yes, she did. Crazy, which is what? yes, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, by the way, she did well in Johnson County, Kansas, where where I'm from too, which is a very professional has a lot of professional. There was there. a moment that I think is a really emblematic moment of the Clinton campaign. I read somewhere. Maybe apocryphal, but at the same time, I believed it because it's so true, but uh, possibly possibly true. But they were going to send the cast of the West Wing to Ohio to talk to voters. <laughs> That'll do it. And I was like, what <laughs> the fuck are you doing? Like, who is that for? Hollywood stars. Everyone loves them. Yeah, especially in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. What, you, what you need is like a show that's not been Clo- on the air in 10 down, years. Yeah, close down the steel mill, but we'll bring in the, you know, the jet from Hollywood. A, it's going to be okay. In the future, it, yeah, in the future, you know, coalitions are built somewhat on, on fragile groups that you bring in. And sometimes someone's along for the ride that you have to say you got nowhere else to go. You know, I think that even at the height of their power, the c- Christian conservatives didn't get everything they wanted out of the Reagan or, or President Bush, but they had nowhere else to go. So right now we're in this debate. Someone's got to get screwed. The Democrats have got to go all in with the white working class or they've got to like double down on what they call identity politics, which just means helping out poor minorities. My opinion is why not tell the professional class to go take a hike for there, Well, there years? you go. I mean, that's, exa- that's exactly right. So you mentioned identity politics. I mean, I don't know if a lot of black people are members of the working class. You know, yeah, a lot of absolutely. Hispanics are members of the working class. I mean, I would say uh, a large majority of both those groups, just as it is with white people, yes. are members of the working class. So you do something to help the working class, and you're going to get all these people across the board. And you can say to – at the same time, you can say to the professional class who the Democrats have done everything in their power to help for decades now. You can say to the professional class, well, look, you know, uh, we're still good on, say, the abortion issue. We're still good on – uh, you know, whatever culture war issue you care to name, the bathroom business, you know, uh, gay marriage. We're, we're your guys on those issues. You know, what are you going to do? Go to the Republicans? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and turn the tables for once. I would love to see that happen. But that's not going to happen. Come on. The, 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 the Democratic Party, for, for them to reverse course, the course that they've been on for 40 years is going to take one hell of a battle. And that battle is going on right now uh, behind the scenes in D.C. and at the various fundraisers that they're holding right now. And, the, you know, they're sitting around and thinking of what went wrong. And they've, uh, they, I, I, this is my take. You guys might have a different one. They've decided that nothing went wrong, that they did everything right, and that they don't have to change uh, course. What do you I, think? I think that's pretty much what Democrats and the I think, think I think there's a significant faction that actually believes they screwed this one up. I think the no, fact there, that— That's exactly— There yeah. is. Yes, there is. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, oh, can I say it? Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Look what we did. And, you know, it's it's time to it's time to change course. But you look at the newspaper coverage the last few days. Everything is going to get blamed on the Russians. This is crowding out all other all other news about politics. Uh, and it's going to get the Clinton faction off the hook. I think one more time. It's worth watching what happens in the DNC race, because it's very clearly a race between people who were at least willing to endorse Bernie Sanders in the primary and people who are Obama loyalists at this point. Um, and that that the way that that race shakes out, I think we'll say a lot about who's going to have power in the party going. 
going forward. But we got to leave it there. Tom, thanks for joining us. Sure thing, guys. And we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I just want to take the time to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. And I wanted to let you know that you can help us grow this podcast and grow the audience that you're a part of. Just go to iTunes and subscribe to So That Happened and leave a rating while you're there to let us know how we're doing. Doing so will help other people find us and allow this audience to grow and this podcast to flourish and become even better. So thanks very much for helping us out and for always being here for us. Hello, and uh, we're kicking things off today with maybe some news you didn't hear about, which is that the government like almost shut down over the weekend, which is kind of cool and kind of terrible. Joining us to talk about this is our friend Arthur Delaney. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Arthur. So glad to have you. And we're overjoyed to have our friend Laura Barone Lopez back on the show. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. It's been a while since you've been on the show. Yes been too long it's been way too long but we're getting into uh some real nice capitol hill intrigue now so government always shut down or something yes uh last week how come um, there are no countdown I clocks? Didn't I, hear about that. Yeah, we, there was some outrage. Republicans were a little bit upset that CNN didn't have a uh, you know shutdown clock on. Right, that's where I get my cues from. The countdown. It's because clocks. it was probably one of the chillest, like threats of a shutdown that I've ever experienced. It was chill. It was chill. I mean, everyone was just like, okay, so there may be a shutdown, but there probably won't be because really, are Democrats gonna force a shutdown over this you know one issue? So what was the one issue? So the one issue was that Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, um, he's been pretty upset for a long time, for a year now. He's been pushing uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to pass a bill that would protect the health care benefits and pension benefits for retired coal miners, unionized miners. And, you know, that was the larger bill. So they get down to the wire of we need to fund the government by, you know, December 9th uh, at midnight. And they're passing just a continuing resolution to keep the government funded. Like they always do. Yeah, until April. That's typical. What's the case against giving miners this protection? I mean, men literally pulled wealth out of the ground and it benefited to all of us, the fact that they did this. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that at the very least we could do is, you know, offer them this in terms of our gratitude. Yeah. So what's the case against saving these people's lives so something like this whether it's this issue or another issue um republicans tend to say that they don't like to have these debates on stopgap you know short-term um government funding bills so on a short-term they 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 sure seem to like it when obamacare was the issue i know but so they're like uh (laughs) this issue needs to be taken care of you know, on its own or going through regular order, regular order. Um, have have they attempted to pass these bills through regular the order? The Senate did. Um, and they successfully did so. It did successfully pass through the the committee of jurisdiction. And it then it ended up in the House of Mortar Representatives, basically. <laughs> I mean, it never passed through the, the full chamber oh, okay. in the Senate, but it passed through the committee. So this stuff, they didn't get it. It no, wasn't put in the so CR. It, I mean, the four-month extension was. The one year wasn't. So Manchin pretty much lost the fight, uh, you know, at the end of it. And along as this fight was going on, a lot of Democrats, including Sherrod Brown from Ohio, was tr- tweeting at Donald Trump saying, 
can you, you know, chime in? Because this is totally something that and I'm you sure he did. On. I'm sure he did because, you know, he's always about protecting the workers. So uh, tell me about uh, tell me about the tweets Donald Trump sent on these miners' behalves. There's silence. So there, there was no tweet. Twitter silence. So he didn't say So th- this was one of the uh, biggest fights that happened in this whole Congress. That was the end of Congress. That was the end of Congress. Yeah, because, I mean, we it really did come down... Somewhat to the wire. I mean, it wasn't until like 530 that man at, in the evening, you know, and the government would have shut down at midnight, 530, 6 o'clock that mansion was like, OK, I'm I'm not going to shut down the government. And then they agreed to pass the House bill close to midnight. Yeah, they passed it about 1030, 11 o'clock. So this Actually, is with, yeah, this is the last thing Congress did. This is a Congress that started with John Boehner. Yes. Two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And he, John Boehner left. Not formally ousted, but pretty much pushed out. And on his way out, he's like, I'm going to take the heat for passing a a spending bill that Mm -hmm. That keeps the government open and that conservatives don't like. And they can go on hating me. I'm out. Yeah, he set the spending limits. His career was the pound of flesh that they exchanged for passing the spending bill. So it was a pretty, aside from that and from this last minute shutdown threat, a pretty low drama Congress. Yeah, I mean... You know, Republicans will say otherwise, but uh, there wasn't much that was done. I mean, they did pass, you know, legislation to help Puerto Rico manage its debt. They passed um, a bill to help, you know, combat the opioid and heroin epidemics going on in the country. And then they um, did last minute as well pass uh, the Cures Act, which is a medical research, a massive medical research bill, including Biden's cancer moonshot. All right. Well. Government nearly shut down. The government didn't, and uh, the people who should have benefited from Congress's actions will have to wait till another day to earn some remedy for their uh, for their health care needs. Uh, Laura, thanks for being with us again, and we look forward to having you back. Thanks, uh, Arthur. You know, I like you just fine. Season's greetings. Yeah, we'll be right back. We're back. We're back. Arthur Delaney is here. Hi. And uh, Zach Carter is here. Hey, everybody. So, guys, and I know one of the things that you have to do after an election, if you're a loser, is you got to sort of, like, pick up the pieces, put them back together again. And it seems that the big to-do right now in Democratic circles is who is going to take over the Democratic National Committee, which during the election was led by Debbie Wasserman Schultz up to a point, and then it was led by Donna Brazil up to a point, and then everything went shithouse on all those people, and there were yelling and recriminations and meetings, and now a number of people have stepped forward to potentially claim the mantle. So what's going on, Zach? Tell us what's going on with the DNC. The so I've, I've been covering this for a little bit. I mean, the thing to remember about the DNC is that usually it's sort of a second tier position in Democratic Party politics. Usually, last 25 years or so, there's been a Democratic president who is actually the functional head of the party. But when there is no president, uh, then the, the Democratic National Committee, which is like 447 Democrats from across the country, gets to get, they get together and they decide who's going to be the head of the party. Uh, and that person has a lot more influence 
uh, over you know, sort of the public image of, of what the party is all about when they don't have a president in power. And I think that's particularly important this year um, or in the, the coming year. Uh, because it's really not clear what the new order is going to be like within the Democratic Party. And so a lot of what's happening right now and the jockeying for, for who's going to be in that position is not just what's going to happen to the Democratic Party, but who is going to control it. Uh, and so this week, we had a very interesting development in which uh, Labor Secretary Thomas Perez, who's a, considered a very progressive economic you know, social justice guy within the Obama administration, uh, jumped into the race uh, challenging... Congressman Keith Ellison, who is a very progressive, social justice, economic guy uh, from, from Minnesota. Uh, Ellison had previously locked up just about every important endorsement that you would need in Washington, D.C., um, with the exception of one major faction, which is the White House. Um, and so what has happened is that you've got this kind of odd realignment in which Bernie Sanders, who Ellison was a, a chief surrogate for throughout the Democratic par Party primary against Hillary Clinton, um, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they are behind Ellison, and so is pretty much all of the Capitol Hill Democratic Party establishment. You know, people like Chuck Schumer, people like Harry Reid, John Lewis, Luis Gutierrez, all these people who were big-time Clinton backers in the primary are all behind Ellison because they want to bring the Sanders voters back into the fold. Makes right. a lot of sense. But the Obama administration is a unique kind of Democratic uh, sort of faction. Um, you know, there are presidents like... FDR, for instance, who really like being led from the left. When they get needled or pressured from more progressive factions of the party, they quietly say through back channels, hey, keep it up. This allows me, gives me more room to do progressive things. Obama has never been a president like that. He's yeah. always objected. To being needled. Yeah. And, and Keith Ellison has needled the administration on social security cuts, chain CPI. He has needled them on deportations, you know, the Dreamers, DACA. Uh, and he has really needled them on TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal that Obama has pushed through. Um, those are all areas where either Obama ended up losing to the progressive faction of the party, as with TPP, or ended up pretty much doing what the progressive faction of the party wanted, wanted to do. But Obama doesn't like being told what to do. And so what you're seeing is Perez, even though he is ideologically quite similar to Ellison and has been one of the most progressive forces within the administration. But people wanted him to be the vice presidential Democratic candidate. He, he was. I mean, this is this is uh, in many ways a rehash of the vice presidential sweepstakes, right? The veep stakes. You know, Perez was considered very progressive. People really wanted in the Sanders camp either Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren to be vice president. Perez enacted. But Perez was like the sort of like consolation prize you could yeah, get. Yeah, he was at the forefront of the administration's minimum wage push and uh, executive actions on things like overtime protections and and for for millions of workers. So he's got serious. Bona fides. The, the only area where he is really at odds, this he personally is, 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 is at odds with Keith Ellison, is on trade. Because he was, he was a, a pitch man for the administration. He was trying to give sort of a progressive seal of approval on TPP, uh, a seal that was ultimately never really, uh, I don't know, I guess the wax never melted on that one. Because um, <laughs> progressives never got behind it. So He, he fought with Keith Ellison over this specifically when they were trying to connect it to trade adjustment assurance assistance. That's right. That's right. Ellison has been a very aggressive uh, opponent of the, the sort of free trade paradigm, uh, along with a lot of other people from who are you know, sort of come from the organized labor wing of of the Democratic Party. Uh, and and Obama did not appreciate that. And you know, I don't think in his heart of hearts, you know, Tom Perez is 
this is a bit of speculation here on my part. I don't think he's like a diehard free trader, uh, but he was working within the administration. And, he was and, good being a team player. Yeah. And, and what's in Perez endorsed Hillary Clinton very early in the primary process, uh, you know, was was considered somebody who might be a potential vice presidential pick for her. Uh, you know, he is somebody who he, he the difference between Ellison and Perez basically is that Ellison played an outside game trying to bring the administration to him. Perez played an inside game trying to move the administration towards Ellison. What's going to happen, though, is that because there are different factions within the party, now, a lot of people don't want to see Obama win this battle because Obama didn't really care about the DNC during his time in office. He, in fact, explicitly rejected party building through the DNC in favor of his Obama-branded, you know, Organizing for America, Obama for America, that those types of organizations. Right. He named Debbie Wasserman Schultz to be DNC chair in 2011. We see how that happened. So a lot of people, like Chuck Schumer, like Harry Reid, just don't think that this is the right faction to be deciding how the party should be run in not, the next few years. Not to make this seem even more arcane, but how is how important is the DNC chairman really when you've actually got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders leading the fight against Donald Trump on Capitol Hill? I think this is a really great test of how important it really is. Because if we are seeing a new alignment sort of of the Democratic Party establishment in which Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders are on the same team, then they should be able to secure somebody like Keith Ellison at the DNC. If they cannot do that, then that suggests that actually Democratic Party power is really dispersed. It's not very it's not concentrated and it's not easily directed. Uh, And that that I think a lot of Obama administration figures have a, you know, self have. But everybody's got an interest in this, right? Winning this fight means your people get better jobs. They get more powerful positions within the party. If you're leaving the administration, you have, you know, your next lobbying gig when you sell out and go through through the revolving door is more lucrative. Everybody's got got a dog in the fight for their own personal sort of professional stakes. What, now what about the broader stakes The uh, for, you know, who's in government? So the DNC presided over just lots of bloodbaths in governorships and state legislatures like is that part of their job yeah the dnc is supposed to recruit candidates for public office whether it's you know in congress whether it's in state legislatures whether it's government uh, and the dnc has just lost a whole lot of battles i mean thousands of state legislatures some seats. they're not even competing in right and they, they often don't even field candidates uh, i mean it's also kind of a fundraising arm of the party one of the chief responsibilities is to raise a lot of money and another one is to be on tv all the time so is there a distinction to be made in terms of perez versus ellison that goes to just like the the sort of nous you have to have to organize a party in 50 states is one seem better suited to it than the other they have the exact same strategy and they both have uh, quite good records of organize of organization and of implementation keith ellison took the congressional progressive caucus um, from being a pretty much irrelevant arm in, on Capitol Hill to being something that actually creates a lot of policy ideas that ultimately got implemented. Um, you know, Perez ran the, the Department of Labor, which was is often sort of a backwater of economic policymaking, certainly was for the first half of the Obama administration, turned it into a really effective voice for working people. Now, all of that work is going to be undone by the Trump administration, but had Clinton won, we would be looking back on the Labor Department as one of you know the most important economic engines of, of progress from the Obama years. What right. aren't Democrats like, can't Tom Perez do something else? Like, didn't they want him to run for governor in Maryland? They did. Uh, but a lot of people think that the Republican governor of Maryland is just too popular, which is un- very popular, which is unusual, right? Because Maryland is typically 
uh, a very, very liberal state. But it's a state sort of like Massachusetts, where you, know, you get people like Mitt Romney, who, when they eventually run for president, they turn out to be these, they're, they're totally willing to do the most right-wing things imaginable. But when they're in office, they have to work with a Democratic state legislature, so they don't really do anything that's that conservative. Yeah. And that makes people, voters, feel good. They say, ah, Ah, well, look, this Republican guy, I can vote for him, and he does all yeah. these things that I like. I'm not, I'm not a partisan. Hogan's fact, they been are. a competent manager and governor. He broke with Trump really early. He didn't get involved in any of that kind of sideshow, and consequently, he probably looks good for re-election. But, but uh, you're right. I, I wonder if, like, one of these guys is just going to be inherently better at erecting a party in 50 states. I mean— we, I, I think this is mostly it's sort of like the Democratic Party platform fight after yeah. Sanders dropped out. The platform matters if people say it matters. If you make a big deal about how this is the most progressive platform ever and if Clinton had been president and people had pointed to the platform over and over again, then it would have mattered. If people decide that it doesn't matter and don't decide to make a big fuss out of it, you know, we have a lot of platforms nobody cares about. I think the same thing could be true with the DNC chair this year. For I the, sort of I sort of see the DNC chair as someone who also has to sort of like cheerlead a little bit and get Democratic voters excited about voting for offices that aren't president of the United States. You know, one thing that the Republicans do really well is they get their voters geeked up to vote for county board seats, to vote for school board seats, state legislatures. They turn out. And I just don't see the same kind of concomitant effort on the Democratic side. I never have. That, well, that's the, they're trying to change that. And, and it, it, there seems to be a pretty much universal agreement that that, that is something that needs, that needs to be different this time around. All right. Well, um, Perez, Ellison, not a whole lot of ideological difference between them, but... I teams. Suppose, different teams. Yeah, the stakes are high all the same. Disarray. Dems in that array. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Zach. Thanks, Arthur. We have more, so stick around. We'll be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Christine Canetta. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we were joined by author Thomas Frank, as well as Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone-Lopez, Zach Carter, and Arthur Delaney. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Please check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening, and best of luck to each and every one of you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.